Amen. What an exciting day to be in God's house. Man, to see the blessing of families committing to raising their children in the Lord, to celebrate the blessing of our mothers, to honor them as the gifts from God that they are, that mothers are today. In addition to all that, we have the beginning of a baby bottle project uh, for Kansas for Life and Embrace Crisis Pregnancy Center. Um, excited. A whole lot going on today. Um, because of all this focus on the family, I guess, um, we're going to take a break from Galatians this week, and we're going to just look very quickly, briefly, at Psalm 127. So if you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Psalm 127. It's only five verses, so it should only take us like 40 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just serious. Psalm 127 is a psalm of ascent, meaning it was sung as people went up to the temple during times of worship, feast days, those kinds of things. Uh, it was one of the psalms that was being sung by the people as they went up to the temple. And as we read this psalm together, these five verses, we're going to find specific application for the home, for the family, for the role of mothers, for the role of fathers. But we're also confronted with the reality that all of our efforts, all of our labors, specifically for our children, are in vain unless we are trusting and depending upon the Lord and His work. So let's read verses 1 through 5 in Psalm 127. It says, A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. If you have a New International Version or a New American Standard, it says... They shall not be put to shame when they speak with enemies at the gate. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you so much for who you are, for all that you have done, all that you are doing, God. We pray that you would bless our time together in, the, in these brief moments as we look at your word, God. We pray that you would speak to us, that you would show us who you would have us to be and the power by which you would have us to do that in your spirit. We do thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this song, in this psalm, Verses 1 and 2 give us basically a general principle. Um, and verses 3 through 5 apply that general principle to raising children, to the home, to the context of the family. So the first thing we'll do is we'll just look at the general principle itself. In verses 1 and 2 is that we're to depend on the Lord. In our labors, we are to depend on the Lord's working. It says unless the Lord builds the house, there's three things here. Building, protecting, or watching, and laboring. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. The principle in these statements is really simple to glean from the text. Unless the Lord's the one working... To accomplish His will, then all of our efforts are in vain, no matter what area we're talking about, what area we're striving in. By our own strength, by our own efforts, by our own striving, all we do is for nothing. Now, this psalm is not instructing us to be idle. 
God's not against building buildings, building houses or guarding cities or, or working long hours if need be. Depending on the Lord's work doesn't mean that we do absolutely nothing, that we don't have a duty. God expects us to work. He expects us to watch. He expects us to labor, to do our duty in building and laboring and those things. But we must recognize that in all situations, in every sphere of life, no matter what we're talking about, our hard work alone can't bring success unless God is working in it. The text says it's done in vain. And make sure you understand what in vain means here. When we say that the building, unless God builds the building, those who build it labor in vain, it doesn't mean that nothing will be produced. You know, it isn't that unless the Lord builds the house, there will be no house. You know, like the workers are just out there hammering nails into the, into the framing. We're out here and we've worked for 22 years. We just can't seem to finish this house. It's not that nothing will be built there. There very well could be a building, and they could very well build it by themselves, but it is in vain or empty because it would be of no eternal significance at all unless God is working in it. It would be not profitable for God, for useful for His kingdom, glorifying His name. It would just be a building like any other that will eventually crumble to dust and ashes and mean nothing in light of eternity for the kingdom of God. The same holds true for the watchman, it says in verse 1. It isn't that the watchman can't watch good enough. It isn't that he isn't vigilant enough. He is vigilant. The idea is that if God is not protecting the city, no amount of vigilance from the watchman is going to keep the city from falling. And to further make the point, he says, it doesn't matter how hard that you work or how many hours that you put in. How late you stay up working, how early you rise to go. You can't expend enough energy to be fruitful for the kingdom of God if God himself is not working in your efforts. It is the Lord who must do it. He must be the foundation upon which we stand, the strength on which we depend for everything. It is his working. He says if you rise early and go to bed late without trust and dependence on the Lord and his working for his purposes, what you will accomplish is nothing more than eating the bread of your toil. That's a very interesting phrase. It's very, very similar language used uh, when God cursed Adam in the garden. Genesis 3 when he cursed Adam, he said, You will toil the produce from the ground, and by the sweat of your face you will eat bread. It's a reminder to us that we're fallen creatures in a fallen world. It's a reminder to us that by our own efforts, by our own working, by our own get up and go, we can accomplish nothing for God unless He is working in it. Now, we may enrich ourselves. We may build great buildings. We may protect great cities, but if God is not in it, it will pass away with no impact for eternity. No impact for the kingdom of God. Now by saying all this in verse 1 and 2, he's giving us really just a general principle using three different areas. Giving us this principle. It's the same thing Jesus said in John 15. Without me, you can do nothing. But then he applies this principle to the families who are going up to the temple and are singing this song of ascent as they go. He says in verse 3, Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. So he's applying now, moving from the general, you can't do it in building, you can't do it in protecting, you can't do it in just regular old labor. And then he says, Behold, he says, depending on the Lord is a necessity for our labors in our homes as well. 
I think he's saying by the word behold, which means just look, he's saying now that you understand that you must depend on the Lord's work and all your efforts and all your building and all your protecting, now look, behold, behold this in the context of your family, which is the house we're called to build. He says children are a heritage from the Lord. In a society growing more and more to see children as a burden to the good life or secondary to my enjoyment, we need to hear God's perspective. Children are a gift from God, a blessing. God is the one who gives children to parents. They're called a heritage here. Maybe your translation says an inheritance here. A heritage is is something that's passed on to the next generation. Parents are stewards of this heritage from God for the future, for His glory, for His kingdom. And verse 4, it says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. All this talk about arrows to us and children being arrows is kind of strange. I mean, if you're an archer or a bow hunter or something like that, you know, you just run down to Cabela's and buy you some arrows. That's how that works. But for warriors in an ancient culture, they, they couldn't run to the store and get arrows. Couldn't run down to the armory and just grab a pack of arrows. Warriors made their own arrows. And it was a very precise and labor-intensive process. You couldn't just go grab a bunch of sticks and say, okay, I'm going to use these for arrows. Let me sharpen them up. A warrior's life in combat depended on his arrows. They had to fly straight. They had to fly true. They had to be carefully shaped and balanced and honed to a sharp edge. And this is how the psalmist describes the labor of raising children for God. A commentator in 1892, I got the commentary but couldn't find the actual author or the one who said it, but he said, parents must not trifle with their children like idiots playing with sharp tools. But as the bowman straightens and polishes his arrow, gives it a solid point and wings it with proper feathers, They must educate their sons and daughters in the name and with the help of the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And when that arrow is built and it's straightened and balanced and sharpened and then aimed, then it's released from the bow out into the world. It's a heritage passed down for the kingdom of God to the next generation. Verse 5 says... Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now the ESV, which is what is on the screen, translates the last sentence, he shall not put to shame when, be put to shame when he speaks to enemies in his gate. But in Hebrew, the subject of the sentence is a third person plural. It should be they. And I think the NIV and the New American Standard rightly translated, they shall not be put to shame when they speak with enemies at the gate. Why the ESV translates it, he, I I couldn't find a good answer for this week. But what's being referred to here in the last part of verse 5 is not the man who is blessed, who has a quiver full of these arrows. It's the arrows, the children, not the man whose quiver is full. They won't be ashamed when they speak with enemies in the gate. In the ancient world, the city gate is the place of social and civic importance. It's where leaders met. It's where trading was done. Legal business was done. You can see that in the book of Ruth, several other books in the the, uh, Old Testament. So the psalmist is saying that when those arrows are, are aimed and released and they fly out into the public square, they will not be put to shame. 
They will be able to face enemies in the public square. They will be able to face culture. They will stand unashamed when so many others fall. They will have a foundation and a strength, the strength of the Lord, when the whole world campaigns against the truth and attacks them for it. Boy, it's no overstatement to say that this church is where the battle's being fought right now. It's where the battle's being fought in our children. I could tell you stories. We're going to have graduation recognition next Sunday. I could tell you stories of how this played out this week in graduates from our church in this area that were told they couldn't speak Jesus' name in certain ways at the graduation, things like that. It's playing out right before our eyes. Now, whatever we think about that situation, that, that, young, that young person there is, a, is an arrow pointed out to the world that has been settled on a strong foundation and whatever, whatever decision came of that, I'm going to tell you what, he, he made a mark for Jesus Christ. So when we talk about children being a heritage from the Lord, they're to be passed down to the next generation as they go out on their own. They are for parents, for mothers, for fathers to be polished, to be built, to be straightened like arrows, honed, and to be launched like a bow from a bow from a warrior. But the first two verses also inform how we build, how we labor, how we educate, how we, how we raise those children. We do all the things that we're called to do, build and protect and watch over and labor and raise our children, but always knowing that success in this endeavor can only come from God. It doesn't come from our labors. And remember, when we talk about success... In this sense, it's not just that our children will be successful in business or prosperous or them being happy and stable or strong or even resolute. It's them being an instrument in the hand of the Lord, an arrow flying out for His glory and for His name. Unless the Lord build my children, the builders labor in vain. So, so how do we do this? Well, we do it as, just as verses 1 and 2 teach us. We raise our children with much labor. Some, some labor more than others. Much labor, much protecting, much building up. But we do so in dependence on God working by His Word, depending on His Spirit to accomplish His children, our heritage from the Lord, a stewardship from God. So we train them as we pour the Word of God into them. We can't ever neglect they're, they're training in the Word of God, teaching them to apply God's Word. Parents, mothers, you're, you're builders. You're faithful watchmen over the city God has given you, over the house God has entrusted to you. You're guarding them physically, ideologically, putting up guardrails. Mothers know how to put up guardrails to keep their children from hurting themselves physically, but also to keep truth ever before them. But in all of our striving, in all of our labors, we must depend wholly on God, knowing that only He can accomplish this. We don't have the power, none of us, to bring about godliness in our children. So what is most fundamental is not the latest parenting techniques or the latest seminars or all that kind of thing. It's walking humbly in dependence on God as we labor to impart God's truth to our family. Christ must be the head of our family. Christ is the builder. Christ is the watchman. We are His laborers. 
So we walk by the Spirit in our homes and train and teach our children in our homes. This is going to look different in a lot of different situations, a lot of different contexts. If you want specific and practical ways, how can I do this in my family? You know, we have two invaluable resources here at First Baptist Church in Cameron Tucker, the youth pastor, and Michaela Schindler, the kids minister, the children's director. She was the one up here giving the announcements. Cameron was back here playing bass. He's kind of short, so you probably didn't see him. <laughs> They're invaluable resources. They're going to show you what this looks like in your season of life. They have abundant resources to give you, to offer you, specific to the age of your children. You can contact the office. They'd love to help you to become a discipler of your children, to do it effectively as God calls you to do. But we must be intentional about it because it doesn't happen by itself. It do, you're never going to have time. You're never going to have time. Never going to be a day when you're, when you're not busy. We're all busy. You have to make time. You have to make time to invest in your kids. You have to make time to make disciples. We're all called to make disciples. If you're a parent with children in the home today, that is your most important ministry that God has given you to make disciples in. That is the most important, and you must be intentional. It doesn't happen by itself. Three Sundays ago, you know, I've been on this diet, and... Dana said, you want to come out to lunch with us after church? And I said, no, I'm doing good. I'm going to stay disciplined. I'm, going to, I'm just going to be good. And she went out to eat with Sophie, and, and they came home. And after shopping, doing errands or whatever for a couple hours, when they came home, I was sitting there in the recliner, laid back with a half a gallon of ice cream in my lap. <laughs> she said, I thought you were going to be good. What happened? I said, I don't know. I I was just sitting here. You don't want to get to the end of the month or the end of the year or the end of your, the time of your children in the home and say, I, I don't know what happened. I was just so busy. I never got around to it. It's got to be intentional. And this starts, this whole thing starts with your own daily communing with God in your own prayer life, in your own study of the Word. Before we can labor for our children, we have to devote ourselves to the Lord in prayer, in His Word. Cast ourselves upon His power, renewing our minds by His Word, because we already know, I can't do this. I can't do this effectively. I can't be successful in this. I'm never going to accomplish this. I need You, Lord. Guide me. Strengthen me. Give me wisdom. Show me what I must do. We must be communing with the Lord. You can't do this on your own. So if you feel overwhelmed by the call to do it, good. That should drive you to the Lord to find His wisdom, His strength, His spirit. As parents, as disciple makers, we build, we guard, we labor, but ultimately we know we're, we're entrusting our children into God's hand. And then we know we don't build in vain. Our children may still rebel and turn against God or turn from God. It's not a guarantee, but that's out of our hands. When that happens, if that has happened to you or if your children are out of the home and they're not walking with the Lord like you would hope that they would, look back to Psalm 126. It says, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. You continue sowing with tears. God's not done. 
Listen, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor build in vain. And if you don't have children yet, or if your children are already gone out of the house, this is still a call for you today. Seven babies, seven families were brought before you to be dedicated to the Lord, committed to the Lord today to be raised in the fellowship of this church. There is plenty of opportunity here to invest in the next generation or to supply those who are investing in the next generation or to just pray for those who are investing in the next generation and pray for the the kids' ministry and the youth ministry and all of the things going on here. Between the kids and the youth ministry and the nursery, we're we're talking about over a 100 children that you could be praying for. Listen, there's plenty of opportunity here for us to ensure that arrows are straight, they're prepared to launch out for Christ. But as Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. We have to entrust ourselves to the Lord before we can entrust our children to the Lord. Must trust Jesus for your salvation before you can walk in Christ before your children and teach your children of Christ. So make sure that you know that you know Jesus Christ. Not just about Jesus, but you know Him. Unless the Lord works salvation in you, changing your behavior is useless. You can't raise your family in the Lord unless your sins have been forgiven and God's Spirit dwells in you. So that is first and foremost the call. Trust in Jesus. Give Him your heart and life. And then, as we read Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, He will take that burden from you and in Him you will find rest. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, you who labor, you moms who are laboring and and don't see a light at the end of the tunnel and can't understand what I'm supposed to do and why it's not working and why. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. Moms who are hurting over your children who are grown and who are out in the world, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. The answer, as it so often is in church, is Jesus. But the answer is Jesus out in the world as well. The answer is Jesus in your workplace as well. And today we're focusing on the fact that the answer is Jesus in your home. Come to me, he said, and I will give you rest. Trust in Him today. Give Him your heart and life. Let's pray. Father, we do love You and we thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You for our mothers. I thank You for the gift that mothers are. God, I thank You for the blessing that You give in nurturing us through our mothers. God, I thank You for all of us who can look back and have mothers who pointed us to Christ. What a blessing it is. God, I thank, you for the, I thank you for the mothers that are in this room, even the ones who are struggling, who are thinking, I'm not doing a very good job. God, we know that we can't do anything without you. Father, I pray that you would give encouragement to families as they're seeking to point their homes toward you. I pray that you would show them that the labor is indeed labor, and it's hard, and it's a struggle, but it's intended to be that way. And that you are with the laborer because it is your work to make disciples. It is your call to make disciples. So as we struggle, as we labor, as we fight to point our households to you, God, help us to remember that unless the Lord builds the house, 
The builders are laboring in vain. So God, we know that as we trust in you, depend on you, cast all of our cares upon you, bring our burden to you, we know that we're not laboring in vain, even when the labor is its hardest. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that hasn't trusted in you, hasn't entrusted their heart to you and been forgiven of their sin, God, I pray that you would call upon them today, God, that they would call out to you, that they would say, I know that I'm lost. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sins are ever before me, but I also trust today that Jesus died for my sin and he took that burden upon himself, paying it in total, and he rose from the dead to give me life. And that's what I'm trusting in. God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts and that you would show us your will as we move forward in each of our contexts, in each of our situations, and with all of our families. God, I pray that you would protect us, that you would watch over us, and that your spirit would give us life. We do thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, I'm going to stand right down at the front. If you'd like to pray, I'd love to pray with you. Would you come? Would you please stand with me?